Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hi, everyone. Wait, oh, you're ruining my intro, man. <laughs> do, it, do it, Tom. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, episode 21. <laughs> we are doing some weird uh, technology things today to limit my uh, lack of experience in the podcasting domain. Um, one of the things we're doing is now we are on YouTube Live, which is sort of a consequence of Google Hangouts on air merging with YouTube Live. They're now one and the same. I don't think that changes anything for anybody else that's watching this, especially because there's no one watching this, but uh, also because they seem to have combined the products in a way that all of the functionality from a UI standpoint is, is the same on the like uh, per, um, on the um, viewer end, not the, the participant end. Um, the other thing that we're doing is that, surprise, I'm not recording this. Okay. Yeah? How's that going to work? Okay, so <laughs> here's, here's my plan. Here's my plan. Number one, um, if you're hearing this right now, it means that my plan worked. <laughs> If you're not hearing this, please write in. <laughs> That's right. If you're not hearing this, you'll hear us next week with another episode of Undersampled Radio, episode 20. Well, I suppose we could do 21 again. Um, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to mail people uh, cassette tapes? Is that the plan? Well, how about a transcript? We could, rather than rather than tapes, we could we could write it all down by hand. And, and have actors. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say we could have someone draw out since we're on video too. We could draw out the, um, you know, it's sort of like a courtroom where you're not allowed to take in a uh, a video camera. Right. <laughs> um, what's the name? What's the name for those guys, by the way? Courtroom sketch artist? No, oh, that's the, not a sorry, right, right. The, uh, the yeah, courtroom sketch artist sounds about right. They always draw in the same way. It seems. I know. Unless, unless I only ever see drawings by one one <laughs> courtroom sketch artist. Um, the, you know the cases that I've been involved in. <laughs> no, but they they always seem to look the same. It's it's weird. Why is that? Uh, there is must it? be some school that you go to for something to learn how to. Right, you get your pencils. Um, so, what was the other thing? Oh, we were talking about. Well, I'm not recording this. What? Yeah. Oh, you're still on that? We didn't. Oh, we haven't talked about this yet. It's yeah. it's early. It's early November. Oh, I see. Um, oh, I see. You said. Go ahead, Tom, with the introduction. That's why you're ruining my introduction. Okay. Hey, uh, we are. Wait, we're not recording this. I didn't. I haven't finished yet. Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, Windows, as you know, was interrupting my process or whatever, and it kept screwing up with the Audacity recording software, which is what we use for doing this because it's free and I'm a cheap dude. Um, in hopes that I will actually stay online this entire time and you won't have to give some another big long soliloquy, which were awesome, by the way, and people love them. Uh, we'll record the audio off of the YouTube recording. So in case anyone listens to the podcast and the audio sounds noticeably worse, let us know. Um, we'll figure something else out. However, I have spliced together some audio with YouTube during editing in the past, and it seems to work out okay, so we'll see how it goes. Also, Matt is uh, at a metal table today, and his microphone is... <laughs> should, I let the, should I tell them? Okay, well, I have to show people now, then. Yeah, okay. Acoustic, I've also acoustically isolated my teacup by placing it on a very heavy wooden block. Why uh, is that my my desk? Desk. Okay. <laughs> my microphone is... Uh, what do you call that? <laughs> Basically suspended, uh, supported by two fake 
uh, succulents. <laughs> They're not cactuses, as I said earlier. They are succulents. <laughs> this One's is no joke. joke. This is no joke. You <laughs> you're listening to the podcast, you can't see. But there are basically two cacti holding up that's microphone, and it's hysterical. So watch the video. Um, also, you can see what we're talking about with Tom Selleck. Um, let's talk about football. What do you when I when I mention the word football, what what do you think of? <laughs> well, you know, you already know the answer to that question. That's not. That's not. I did look up the provenance of the word soccer recently because I was I was curious about it. I had a suspicion that it might be one of those. Um, one of those quote-unquote Americanisms that isn't actually an Americanism um, but, but came from British English, and indeed it is one of those. It's basically an uh, analogous word to rugger, which is a thoroughly British word, or English word probably. I don't think they use the word rugger in, in Wales even. Certainly not in Scotland. And um, yeah, it was to dis discriminate between or distinguish between uh, association football uh, and rugby football, when when rugby came along in the late nineteenth century, so uh, it, it's actually a, a sort of it's come from the word association. So it, it's I, I guess it sounds better than ass football or something like that. And um, we ended up with soccer. Hmm. Do you like that? Yeah. It's fascinating. How often do you look up the etymological <laughs> definitions of uh, of words? Um, their meaning, their uh, pathways. Or I'm, I'm interested in words as, as much derivatives. as person. Word, word derivatives. Yeah, etymology, not entomology. Etymology. Yeah, but um, yeah, so uh, that's that, you know that, that, that's what I think of as football. But you you were writing something, some nonsense gobbledygook about American football in the show notes that I I just ignored because it's. <laughs> Is it because? <laughs> is, did you also ignore it because I uh, encouraged people to use the hashtag Matt Hall loves American football because it's way better than soccer? Or it's definitely it? not better than soccer. I mean, look, look at it's, it's sort of just farcical to even try and make that claim. Look at the adoption of soccer around the world. Look at how crazy people go for it, and. I try and watch a game. I mean, <laughs> just to like objectively get some person who's not particularly interested in, in sport and show them a, a, you know, show them a game of American football and then show them a game of soccer. And what will I they mean, say? There's no contest. <laughs> I mean, not... if they're British, maybe there's no contest. American you, football is profoundly know... dull. Like, Do you know what don't happened? Even get me started I on showed baseball. a soccer game on a large screen down here in. in... The south of America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing. People would fall. Really? No, really? I mean, there's no time for commercials, right? That's you, amazing. You can't show commercials. That's why it's not on TV much in the States, because you can't show commercials during the game. There's no time because stuff's happening. There's tons of time for commercials in ice hockey. So, so. Ice hockey? You, you know, something gets hockey too? Yes. Oh, and, and baseball. You've got all the time in the world for ads because yeah. nothing happens. Anyway, the the costumes are ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, they just are. Watch a game of rugby if you want to see how real men play, you know, rough and tumble. And uh, it's awesome. Hey, did you ever hear that uh, Irish football or something like this where they combine the rules? Of, not Irish football. International rules rugby or something like that. Where they combine the rules of um, soccer or rugby or something, and there's like punching allowed. I'm probably making this up. I'm going to put this in. This might be Australian rule. That sounds a little bit Australian. like Australian rules football, yeah. Yeah. which is mental. That uh, it's sort of it has some volleyball-like moves in it where you whack the ball with your hand, and you can. Yeah, I don't really know. And the the, the umpires dressed like cheesemongers. We'll put a <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes where you can sign up to join an Australian football uh, league or something. Um, but anyway, the reason that I have football in the show notes is because the only news that I could come up with is that um, football, the real kind, is going to be on Twitter. You can watch it, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, but what does that so, mean? I, I don't know. It's only Thursday night games, apparently. 
and uh, there is a page. It's a, it's linked in the show notes. You can go there. It directs you to some accounts and some live streaming video of I suppose what's going to be there's an ad football with many more ads I gather. Well, I was curious. Hmm. Quite curious. I, yeah, the end of Twitter. <laughs> I don't. I don't subscribe to that sort of thing. I, I mean, interesting. That's an interesting use case for Twitter, I guess. You can see the well, if you don't like it, you can go uh, bootstrap some footage <laughs> of a soccer game onto Twitter. I, apparently, they were deleting people's accounts for posting clips from the Olympics. Um, that into terrorism. I mean, it's a bit, you know, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> terror that's terrorism no 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 they also delete accounts for terror for, for posting terrorism oh, I see. Ish, terrorism like comments yeah yeah but, but they don't delete accounts for kind of crazy levels of personal abuse right oh that's true but there is a there is now a site that explicitly allows uh, hate mongering and white supremacy what's the name have you did you hear about this? It was in the tech news. This probably deserved to go in the tech in the news section of our of our notes. It's called Oh man, I can't look. Um, I don't think I want to know the name of it, but it's no, probably not. But it's so it's <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's pointed at the the alt right, you know, uh, oh, goodness, white supremacist movement or whatever. Um, yeah, well. But anyway, you know, um, what's what's the guy from Breitbart who uh, who was uh, banned from Twitter Milo, for life. Milo something. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's it's his now you know uh, platform of choice for spamming and trolling people, I suppose. Okay. So well, I think it's nice that he has a place where he can go and do that. That doesn't bother normal. It's right. So if if you want to go get trolled and and yell about um, <clears throat> alt right topics, uh, we're not going to put a note a show note in there about it. So. Go find it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so hey, look at this. I uh, got five copies of uh, nice. a book in the mail the other day. It's uh, it's called Fifty Two Things You Should Know About Rock Physics. You see that? And, uh, Is it you, might even, you might even see there that it's edited uh, by Matt and Evan. Um, I haven't read it yet. Okay, fine. But I'm excited to. Um, it looks good though, hey. I was really pleased with how it turned out. It looks very good. Uh, the other two, so it turns out that Matt's actually got three other books out, and I didn't know that, and you might want to know this, Matt, because when you go look up one of these books, uh, at least when you look up one of the three that I'm about to mention, you don't find the third uh, linked in Amazon, at least right. straight easily up front. So geology is one, 52 things you should know about geology, 52 things you should know about geophysics, you click on either of those, you get links to the three. Uh, but I, I just found out today that there's also paleontology, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. So uh, I read geology and geophysics. Awesome. Hilarious. Cool. Um, and I look forward to rock physics. Anything you want to say about it? Go buy it, other than go buy it. <laughs> go, go buy it. Yeah. I mean, it's. Um... It's on Amazon stores all over the world now. Uh, if, uh, if if you ever should want more than a handful of them, well, we are actually selling some sort of um, combo packs on the website on um, agilegeoscience.com. Um, you know, we well, no, I think we offer free shipping on there. But how exactly it plays into whatever deal Amazon happened to have going at the time, uh, I'm not sure. So it may or may not save you money. Probably does save you money if you're not in the U.S. Um, so yeah, look on uh, look on the website in the store, I think, or the shop, whatever it says for that. Um, yeah, this it's like it's always just a relief to get these things out the door. Um, we are donating um, two dollars per sale to Geoscientists Without Borders, so I will just mention that um, Geoscientists Without Borders are the SEG sort of charity that does humanitarian geoscience work or uh, funds humanitarian geoscience work around the world um, for finding water and dealing with natural hazards and that kind of thing. So um, there's a good cause in there too. Um, 
And yeah, there's 46 authors, I think, probably someone you know has written uh, in the book. The other one that you mentioned, paleontology, uh, Evan and I did not edit, although I did do um, the compiling of the book, I guess. Um, it, it was actually edited by Alad Matinius and um, Alex Cullum, uh, both at Statoil. And it, it, so it's ostensibly about paleontology, but it does have a pretty heavy kind of industry angle. So there's quite a bit of palynology in there. There's quite a bit of sort of um, stuff about, you know, dating and chronostrophy and sort of petroleum applications. But I'd say that's probably only a dozen or so uh, of the essays. The rest of them are about, you know, dinosaurs and all sorts of other things. Um, and like all the other books, we try and mix technical stuff with sort of cultural, lighthearted pub stories, as I call them. That's actually what I was going to mention, is that hopefully some people are reading this book that don't know one of the 52 authors, or however many authors there are, because they're accessible from um, an outsider's standpoint. There, there are many, I'll say most of the articles in there are... Um, fun reads that you don't have to be an expert or even a scientist or anything to um, to have fun with. So yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, def it's definitively not like the the 52 things you need to know. It's more like 52 random things that you might want to know. Um, yeah. Which order did the books come in? Uh, geophysics, geology, paleontology, rock physics. And the next one's probably going to be another paleontology, um, because uh, yeah, uh, Alex is unstoppable, basically, um, and it's a huge field, obviously. Um, uh, I mean, that, that book does not do all that well, though. Like it's the smallest seller out of the four. Geophysics is the biggest seller by far, um, probably related to you know just like who we are and how we promote the books and stuff, but. Um, <laughs> there's uh, there's also one quite controversial essay in the paleontology book which seems to put some people off. I always think that's kind of funny when scientists are like, no, I will not read that. That opinion is... <laughs> like, that. not only do I disagree with that opinion, but if you bring that opinion close to me, I will, I will explode. I, I just sort of think... What's the okay. topic? Uh, it's about dinosaurs, and it's about the origin of dinosaurs and what their relationship is to modern birds. Well, and if the if the opinion was that uh, they were the dinosaurs were created in seven days, I could see how most scientists sure. would have a problem with that. Yeah, no, that's not that's that's not. That's no, that's not, not it. The, okay. The uh, the opinion expressed it is it's, it's much more sort of technical and involved. And I won't pretend to know the details of it, but it's basically an argument about. How close that will whether modern birds are directly descended from dinosaurs or not, and um, the sort of consensus is that they are, um, but not everybody subscribes to that. And I think that's quite interesting, and that's why we actually left it in the book because we were unsure about putting it in there because we knew it was a bit of a marginal opinion. But you know, hey, that's. That's life, man, and that's science. Um, and you know, let's face it. I mean, saying the saying anything definitive about about the Cretaceous just seems to me really kind of maybe a bridge too far. Like that's arm wavy, maybe. Well, just verging on hubris, I would say. Right? It's verging on like a level of certainty that I'm not sure it's fair to say that we have about geology in general. It's one of the problems it has as a science, right? It's really hard to prove stuff. It's a long time ago, that Cretaceous. <laughs> hey, did I mention to you, um, this is a, this is a kind of a good place to talk about this. Did I mention last week or whenever it was we recorded the book that I had just finished about the origins of life? Uh, no, it's your, your face is telling me I didn't mention anything. <laughs> okay, so... I just finished a book called uh, The Vital Question by Nick Lane, uh, Dr. Nick Lane. It's, it's fascinating. It's a, it, he is a bioenergeticist and a biomolecular, maybe not biomolecular engineer, but um, a, a molecular biologist for sure. Uh, 
uh, he has fresh viewpoints on the origin of life and the evolution of why both prokaryotic and eukaryotic life exist as they do on Earth, and it's it, it'll um, it'll wake you up. It's it's fascinating. So so get it, and um, we can talk about it some more after you've read it, <laughs> because anybody listening, get the book immediately. It's it really is awesome. Um, but books like that that sort of challenge and provoke a bit, right? That don't just sort of. I mean, because I think fundamentally, science scientists have a hard time admitting that there are massive holes in what we what we know and understand about the, the universe. And um, and I I I feel like some people are really uncomfortable with the idea that things like dark energy and dark matter and the Big Bang and the origins of life and the role that uh, and what DNA is and and how it encodes for things are, um, are still quite unknown to us. You know, I, I feel like we we very quickly get to a point where you explain things by saying, "Oh, Big Bang." I mean, the Big Bang sounds totally impossible, and I feel like we just sort of push a lot of the things we don't understand. They get pushed into that singularity, and we're like, "Oh, okay, we've dealt with that." There's just this measly one thousandth of a second that we don't understand now. But it's like we profoundly don't understand it. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, it, and, and these sort of things at the edge that are actually massive things, the, the, ex, the explanation of which might be incompatible with whole chunks of the rest of science. Like that's the discomfort we have. I, I don't know. That, I mean, I'm a layman when it comes to cosmology and stuff, but I mean, that's my feeling is it's just like it, it's a thing that feels like an explanation when you're talking to a layman but the actually physicists or biologists know amongst themselves we have no idea how that happens that's why when we do things like sequence the human genome we can't just magically create a human out of nothing we can't just put one together and we can't just immediately cure all cancers because it turns out there's a whole bunch of nonlinearities in there that we don't Again. That's true. I believe the term you're looking for <clears throat> to bring it back around to baseball is bunt. <laughs> Scientists go okay. for a bunt and they put all that information in the in back into the Big Bang time, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna try to I'm, my new goal is to work as many uh, sports that you don't like references into this. <laughs> uh, what I'm interview? What are we doing? Um, hey, what's next on the list? We're just talking Leading about edge. Wait, what's uh, D Day at COP? Oh man. Oh, okay. Never mind. <sighs> Do I, they, well, today is the day that they're letting people go. I, I don't know if um, this is a global thing at ConocoPhillips um, or just ConocoPhillips Canada, but they announced to staff a week or two ago that it would be today, and and they've. I'm not sure if that is still going on, but um, two of my very good friends at ConocoPhillips. Canada have been let go. So, you know, the nonsense continues, basically. And I mean, these, and, and, and we're talking about people at this point who have survived two layoffs in the company already. Um, and, you know, and, and in the case of these two individuals, are awesome, you know, creative, imaginative, capable, like energetic geoscientists. Um, who get it, kind of thing, and and it's almost like whatever happens at this point, it, it's, it's not going to be good. There's no, there's no, there's no fat to trim, kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's yep. so it's just so it's just brutal. So I mean, I spent a bit of time earlier on Slack chatting to to these guys, and it's just really sad, basically. And and it's like. It's not even like you can say, oh, well, you know, things will pick up or anything like that. It's just the situation in Calgary, I think, is pretty brutal. And there are thousands and thousands of people, geoscientists, I mean, just in our field, out of work. And um, I honestly think your best bet at this point is to run away. Like, 
don't go through six months of thinking, oh, I'll find something, and then kind of give up and go, oh, I guess I've got to go and do something I didn't really want to do. It's like, no, screw it, like, do it now. Just leave, leave go find something else to do and be awesome at. Which reminds me of your uh, rebranding of Agile. What's that yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that driven by the same motivation? Yeah, it is really. And and I, I you know and I think data science and analytics and um, that, I mean I think that's a great place for a lot of geophysicists anyway to go. Like there's work there. Yeah, you know, there just is. And um, and and if you're doing geophysics, you already can do a bunch of it. Like you already at least have a numerical foundation and probably also already understand a lot of things about. Um, machine learning and statistical models and things, so. Oh, it's just, it's just gross. Well, uh, lots of people are getting on the big data train these days. I would suggest that if, this is, this is coming from the point of view of someone who's spent a long time focused on one little tiny subject area, which is geophysics, uh, but I, think it would be advantageous to start working on a specific type of problem, right? I think a lot of those, and I could be wrong, but I think a lot of those sort of generalized big data, um, data science-y, uh, you know, the data science manager type of positions where you're looking at general ideas and statistical frameworks and things have been gobbled up. Do you find that that's the case? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's still kind of early days actually for for that field. I mean, uh, I don't know. My perception is that there's a lot of extremely smart people in that in that field. Like, mm -hmm. um, if you if you watch some data science kind of talks and presentations and things on YouTube, there are these people have PhDs in mathematics and graph theory and probability theory <laughs> and scientific computing. Um, like, I, there, there's a whole class of, of, of problems and stuff and jobs that, you know, quote unquote, ordinary uh, technical people will never get to. Um, but those people are creating a huge amount of opportunity for everybody else. And it's sort of almost growing exponentially because they're creating tools. Um, insights, um, you know, approaches, and they're going off and starting data science groups at big companies, um, starting new businesses. I mean, it's, so it's, I think we're still in that inflationary period, actually. Um, and I mean, it's tempting to say, oh, well, there's tons of opportunity in oil and gas in data science too, but I don't know if that counts as real opportunity. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, I think it's going to be years before those companies sort of wake up again after this. So I don't know what everyone else in the universe is seeing, but I know that I'm seeing frozen Tom Selleck uh, with his oh, he's got his eyes closed, so he might just be asleep. But I think I'm just going to carry on like I normally do at this point in the show <laughs> and hope that Graham re resurfaces because I think I'm still live. It's either that or I'm the one that's frozen and I'm just stuck in my own little bubble. But I don't know what else to do in order to cope. Uh, first I'm going to turn my bandwidth down and hope that things come back to life. So um, I'm just going to look at my show notes. The I did want to talk briefly about the next Leading Edge tutorial, which we've just got in. Um, you know, the, this is the deadline right now for the October issue is today, so uh, we've just got the proof all done, and uh, it's looking really good. It's another fairly long one. It's like four pages. It's on machine learning, um, and it's basically it's a lithology prediction exercise. Um, things are happening on my screen, so maybe Graham's going to resurface in a second. And uh, I think it's going to be um, 
I don't want to give too much away, but there is going to be a sort of audience participation element to this tutorial. So there's going to be a way for people to uh, get involved and um, uh, do some do some stuff on their own and hopefully contribute back, and we can all kind of learn from each other. That's the goal with this one. So I'm pretty excited about it. It'll be out in two weeks, so the 1st of October, um, so you can check it out then. Um, oh, I should mention that the article's been written by Brendan Hall of, um, of Enthorpe, and it uh, looks like Graham's coming back. Uh, so I'm really excited to be collaborating with Enthorpe on this one. And um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be one of our more interesting ones to date. I think people are really going to get a lot out of it. Graham, did you re resurface? <laughs> I'm here. Okay, so I've crashed again. Um, oh my goodness. The pro so the problem seems to be something with Google Hangouts, not with Audacity. I, I yeah. I I mystified. I thought I I thought I had determined the cause of this thing. Apparently, I just completely wrong. Um, so it, every time this has happened before, I've only dropped out of the call once. So hopefully we can record the rest of this thing. And you may be able to tell that I'm actually getting much faster at restarting my computer and getting yeah, back on. That's true. It's shorter every time. Uh, so I'm not so folks listening. And it turns out there is actually uh, at least one person listening, as you may have noticed on Slack. Um, we may go back to the old format. I don't know. I'm baffled. But anyway, so you did end thought. What were you talking about? I was just talking about the next. Uh, Tutorial the next in the Leading Edge Good. in the October issue is going to be really awesome. Man, I wanted to hear about that. I'm I missed the whole thing. <laughs> Are you halfway through? Okay, no, well I'll I'm have to wait for Leading Edge. Uh, talking about that, um, <laughs> but I did, uh, not unrelated news. Uh, the blog post I did this morning incorporates a notebook or had points to a notebook uh, for the kind of meat of it, and um, and I put the notebook on Binder. Have you played with Binder yet? Nope. So mybinder.org is pretty cool. Uh, it's, I, I can't quite understand uh, how or why they're doing this, but it's free to use. So basically, you um, you pointed at a repo uh -huh. with a notebook in it, or multiple notebooks, and they spin it up on, in a container on a virtual machine for you, and where you go. And other people then, when they sort of check it out, Get a new machine and get another version of your notebook and can run it right in there the in the browser and edit it and do whatever they want. Um, it still lets you save and stuff. I guess that's just because it's a, just a regular notebook. But I, you know, presumably as soon as you check out the session, it's dust. Um, but really cool because it means instead of just reading through notebooks, people can actually kind of run through them and change them and. Uh, see what happens, that kind of thing. And I think if I had bothered uh, to put some interactive widgets in there, they would even be able to, you know, widget widget away on the sliders and things, and see things uh, have some interactive graphics and so on. So I'll do definitely do that next time. Um, and I think we'll be exploiting that too for the tutorials because I think. There is some overhead, right, in saying to people, "Oh, great! Here's an iPython notebook or a Jupyter notebook. Um, go install Anaconda and learn a whole bunch of stuff before you before you can run this." Yeah, that's a really cool idea. So I'm I'm on the site right now, and um, it it's it's awesome. Um, I do a lot of the uh, bunting of uh, of uh, putting stuff up on GitHub, which has dependencies and things that you you've got to at least have and maybe not completely understand. Um, but it would be really neat to have uh, the capability just to play with a couple of, as you say, widgets, sliders, interactive visualizations right there in the browser. Uh, there is a, I know, I know you're going to hate me saying this, but um, the, so Mathematica. Yeah? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So Mathematica <laughs> has a new thing out. <laughs> so let me finish. Has a new thing out that they they have online interactive sessions um, that you can send to either people with Mathematica licenses to do work 
or people without mathematical licenses to do viewing and manipulation just like this binding thing. Mm -hmm. Now, Matt, I'm sure, doesn't like Mathematica because it's expensive and it's not open. Uh, this is a really cool response, maybe, to, to that um, interactive in the browser code, maybe not coding, but algorithm playing with stuff. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm going to put yeah. some stuff up on here. It seems really cool, and it's just running on your. It's just running on your GitHub repo, so I think you can add data blobs in there. Uh, there's a little um, configuration file for the container, so that basically you can define a conda environment. So you know, you just sort of say which libraries you want uh, for for conda or pip to install. It's, it seems to work really nicely. Um, so I'm definitely going to be doing more of that. It wasn't too too bad to set up, and I, I actually thinking. I'll try and spin up my own. Um, uh, you, you, they give the instructions somewhere on mindbinder.org to set up your own binder server, so you don't have to cool. kind of rely on that free stuff. Um, I might do that just for giggles as well. Cool. There's a link in the notes to the to the site. It is mybinder.org. Uh, check it out and check out the next TLE tutorial that I eagerly await because I know nothing about until I go watch this video. <laughs> hey. What about you? Tell me about your predictive painting because it looks like you've been having a lot of fun with that. Oh, yes. I've been having a ton of fun with this. Okay, so um, Madagascar. I'm sure some of you use Madagascar. Uh, it's If not, you should. It's an open source seismic processing package that is maybe not better, <clears throat> but uh, similar to and somewhat more robust than Seismic Unix. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I still use Seismic Unix. It's awesome. And that's how I started doing development, seismic processing things. But Sergey Fomel, who wrote the, who created Madagascar in the first place, um, came up with an algorithm called predictive painting. It just so happens that I have a predictive painting it's a scientific article right here written by Fomel himself. Um, and it's, it's really cool. So the algorithm goes like this. Well, I guess motivation works better first. So the idea is that he wanted to create an algorithm which would be able to pick along seismic events automatically without human interpretation. So um, you, there's an algorithm which um, automate, automatically does uh, dip picking of um, seismic sections, 2D sections, and 3D volumes. And it uses that pre those predicted dip volumes or sections to spread uh, what are also automated, automatically picked horizons or automatically picked events um, across the seismic volume and and in paint the or interpolate basically the some property across the seismic volume now why would you want to do that so um, you have you could you could paint you could use a derivative attribute that's in the middle of this workflow called relative age to generate something which resembles a stratigraphic aging section or something like this. Or um, what I want to do, and the reason that I found out about predictive painting in the first place, is to build a low frequency model. So my idea, actually not, not my idea, but my, um, my stolen idea is to use his idea to, and this is another article by him um, and one of his students, uh, to uh, paint or interpolate well log measurements across a seismic volume, thus interpolating in a geological sense, not just in some sort of mathematically defined uh, radial basis function, generally say sense. Um, so that's pretty cool, man. You can take a, a point location um, in a you know a plan view sense, which is a well location that is essentially a 1D data record, 
you have measurements of whatever, um, density, velocity, uh, going down the well log. And if you've got a couple of these things, you can paint in interpolated well log quantities across a something that's sort of like geology, which is seismic data. Um, so I'm doing this because I want to build a more accurate low frequency model for an inversion I'm doing for a client. And um, it is so much fun. So uh, as Matt pointed out to me, uh, to all of FOMEL's work almost is, is open and uh, is available on several different sites. You can find them all through the Madagascar site. Um, but all of the code is open. All of the, almost all of the um, workflows, like the, the Madagascar uses S-Cons, S-Construct, I don't know if you play with this again. Um, so all the scripts for doing the workflows are open. And, uh, and then a couple of the data sets he uses are open. So you can go in there literally with no experience. Even if you don't know what you're doing and have never played with Madagascar before, in an hour you can run his, not the 3D stuff, but the 2D predictive painting. And you should because you come up with so much cool stuff along the way. Predicted dip volume or sections, uh, the relative age stuff, um, and then your your actual painted um, uh, image. So um, it's very cool. There, my stuff is up on GitHub. It's t it's it's in progress and it's totally incomplete. And um, there, but there's links on the README on the main page to all the articles. You have to have. Uh, just yes, just SEG uh, access to geophysics um, for those articles. Um, but it's cool. And then I have another link in my repo to some a synthetic data set that I built 3D. Uh, it's like a pyramid looking type of thing. Um, so you can play with that too if you want. Um, cool. Yeah. So you may have heard, I'm sure you've heard if you're in the sort of seismic inversion biz. Uh, about the new thing that everyone's doing where they're um, doing multi-attribute analysis inversion type of stuff where they're incorporating a bunch of measurements, stuff from all over the place, mainly petrophysics, well logs, uh, and doing the same type of thing. They're sort of dispersing this information uh, laterally in a, in a geologic sense, in a structural sense stratigraphic sense. Um, that's a hard thing to do. Um, many of the methods that I've seen done are using um, either Matt's favorite machine learning or some sort of multi-attribute statistical um, uh, quantitative process. Um, but they're all custom in my experience. The one that, that I have the most experience with is a buddy of mine Mark Miyoka has a company called Teradata Geoscience. It's TDGO. There's a link in the notes. Um, and they do awesome work. Um, and they've done something that is one of these multi-attribute petrophysical inversion things. Uh, it is, he, he calls it himself, he calls it a, a microscope looking at seismic data. So if you have a reservoir of interest, that's the type of scale, a single reservoir that he's, that he's looking at with his um, process. And that's because they have to involve petrophysicists on staff and geophysicists and do processing on seismic data and all this stuff. It takes a ton of different people to do this one little tiny piece of your seismic data. It's really nice. Uh, it turns out great. Um, it's expensive. Um, but if you don't want to shell out all that cash and all that time for all these people to work on the data. Uh, start playing with predictive painting. I think it's a, it, I think it's a really, and again, I'm not finished yet, but I think there's going to be a really cool result. And, when, and whether it's cool or not, it's going to be up on my GitHub, so you can, you can check it out eventually. When I, it, it'll probably be a month until I finish. So that's predictive painting. I'm having a ton of fun with it, um, and I'm producing some pretty pitch, pictures, which I'm putting on Twitter, as you probably saw. So in your repo, it's like it's Madagascar scones files, is it, and that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, or, or are you writing some Julia magic into here as well? Um, I 
I will be slash I have written a bunch of custom stuff that goes along with this. So all of the predictive painting stuff, all of the uh, low frequency model building stuff is based on Sergey's stuff. So it's it's all based on Madagascar's uh, formats and all this stuff. Um, I wrote a, a big repo that's separate from this one but is linked uh, wherein I created a, a seismic, so high frequency uh, inversion algorithm, but that's all written in Julia. Um, it's all up there. It's all, I mean, Julia's so awesome, so much awesomer than Python that you can just go in there and, and just read through it. And it's, it's, it's really simple. It handles not very cleverly because I'm not all that clever about data, but it, it sort of uh, naively handles big data sets in a quick way. Um, so if you, it, it's up there, if you want it, it's free. Um, and it runs on commercial size data sets. And um, again, it's only high frequency right now. So the next month's worth of work is going to be integrating the two frameworks, uh, the Madagascar stuff for low frequency and my stuff for high frequency. Um, and hoping I don't blow something up in the process. <laughs> Not something important anyway. Yeah. It's okay, small things blow up. Yeah, well, actually, no. I guess I'm. I guess I misspoke. I, I want something to blow up because I, then I'll <laughs> I'll learn more when I have to fix it. <laughs> yeah, um, that Windows machine is the first thing to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the worst part is that it's the newest machine that I own, so that's kind of annoying. But okay, so back to this. I guess one solution is for me to switch totally over to Linux. I could, if I'm going to continue, sort of in a modified setting of what we're doing today, I could uh, I could probably do it all in Linux. Um, so one thing I need, listeners, is not a video recording software, but an audio-only recording open source software that will record the audio straight digitally from the computer, the output of the computer. Something similar to stereo mix in Windows. Yeah. So what you're saying that that piece of software is the only reason that you have <laughs> No. <laughs> I'm not. But it if I but now that we have this fancy YouTube live thing and we've improved our uh, maybe not quality but our uh, <coughs> limited technological prowess in the podcasting domain I think now I could potentially do this all with a stable operating system. Yeah. Not stable. I mean, Linux, man, it's still crazy. It just, you know, you got to pick your battles. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, I remarked the other day on, on Slack that I had 102 tabs open in Chrome. <laughs> so I'm not proud of. And I said facetiously that one of them, I thought at least one of those tabs had been there since 2006. And someone was like, I don't know how you can keep a computer going that long because I, you know, I'm constantly having to restart or whatever on Windows. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, but you know, when I think about my Linux servers on AWS, I mean, those things are up for months. Yes. My my, um, my Mac desktop is like it goes months without anything, any kind of any interference whatsoever. You just completely forget that it's even there. I know I don't re I don't turn it off at weekends or anything like that. So um, <clears throat> Microsoft, if you're listening in, we're looking for a sponsorship. <laughs> 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 I feel like I just we're trash talking Windows every time. Can we talk about um, Python three point six already or what? So yeah, it's apparently Python three point six. I think is scheduled for release. I'm not actually sure. I I, I checked it a couple of weeks back and I can't remember now uh, if it was like. October, maybe. Anyway, uh, but it, you can try it out now with Conda. So I've put the command for making a Conda environment with Python 3.6 pre-release, it's called. So obviously it's not actually released yet uh, in the show notes. And the only thing I know that's new in there, because of course Python 3 had a lot of kind of new stuff, mostly around kind of doing a lot of things lazily so that you don't create giant things in memory all the time. Uh, and instead, it, it, it sort of does more things on the fly with generators and so on. Um, 
So the big thing that I've read about so far in Python 3.6 is that dicts, dictionaries, are ordered. So they've optimized dictionaries, but in doing so, one of the steps that they took to optimize them also preserved the insertion order uh, in dictionaries, which has all sorts of other... Thank goodness. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome, because um, occasionally you want dictionaries to, to be in order. Every time I use that, pretty much. Yeah, sorry? Every, pretty much every time I use them, it really annoyed me okay. in the past having unordered dictionaries. It... <clears throat> so there's this thing floating around, I think, in collections called ordered dict that you that you can use in earlier versions of Python. Um, but you know, it's kind of a hassle to sort of remember whether this one's an ordered dict or not. And um, the one major side effect is that it means that keyword args, the, the quags. Uh, object inside a function will also be uh, will have this order, um, just sort of in, automatically inherited from the dictionary object. So anyway, so that's kind of cool. That's all I know so far. There's probably other cool stuff as well. Yeah, cool. I'm excited. Um, not that I use Python or anything, but no, <laughs> you're excited for the rest of us. Thank you. Yes, that's very sweet of you. <laughs> All right, we're getting out of here. See you. Yeah, we probably should. Um, thanks for the chat. It was fun. Yeah, it was. Um, we'll be back uh, sometime next week or something like that. Um, then we're off again for a couple of weeks. But um, we're around. We have a couple of cool guests lined up, uh, sort of lined up but not scheduled. Um, yeah. <laughs> primed but not ready. Um, so keep keep an ear out. It's going to be the next like month and a half's worth of recording sessions are going to be pretty awesome. So see you in a little bit. Okay, mate. Take care.